Welcome to another Mother Runner podcast. This is Sarah Bowen Shea with Adrian Martini. Hello, Adrian. Hello, Sarah. How are you today? I am doing well, doing well. So you just co-hosted just a brief while ago. So I'm I'm thinking, have you found any time for knitting lately? <laughs> well, I found time to knit. I wouldn't say that I've made incredible progress. Uh-huh. Uh, it's gone from maybe a three inch long scarf to maybe a four inch long scarf, but <laughs> it's still doll size. Yes. It still qualifies as, as progress. Stitch by stitch, step by step. That's exactly. how a mother runner knitter does it. <laughs> yes. It appears that I don't like instant gratification kind of activities. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, well, before we hopped on this, we were saying that we both have new Saucony gear. Yes. How... Um, I have not opened mine yet. I oh. just got the box as I was running up here uh-huh. uh, to record the podcast. So it's just this box of anticipation sitting on my dining room table. Oh, delightful. Well, mm. I, I got... So our podcast now it will be two ago when we had uh, Leanne from Saucony on and she was talking, we got to talking about bullet capris because, you know, they're like the official bottoms of right. mother runners and also about daybreak tees, which are these lovely burnout um, shirts that are just so awesome. So she was talking about how they've been updated. So she very graciously sent Molly and me some, I do have to say though, the box arrived here and I'm like, Oh, now I need to give some to Molly. Oh. <laughs> Now Sarah, <laughs> sharing is caring. <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, so this morning, uh, Molly and I just had an awesome, awesome workout. Good. And um, so, but I debuted one of the new Daybreak tees, which the big um, improvement is that it has l- some Lycra in it. And right. oh my goodness. And what I was telling Leanne was that um, my problem sometimes with the Daybreak, it's a long sleeve shirt and it kind of fits somewhat like a, just a regular lifestyle shirt. And so the, and I think I have um, uh, larger than average forearms for a woman. <laughs> and, uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. And uh, so that uh, they can be kind of snug and that I, if I have a complicated workout, I write it in Sharpie on my forearm. And so, boy, today's was, <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm so glad I'm 5'11 and have a really long forearm. Because <laughs> it took from my wrist all the way to the crook of my elbow. <laughs> and um, and write it too small, you're never going to see it. So, yeah. Oh, and, but, you know, and you have to have just the right Sharpie. Because if the Sharpie's kind of been worn down a bit, then it right. becomes too thick. And so, anyway, so this, oh my gosh, with the Lycra, I can pull it up. I can look at the workout. And then when I get too chilly, pull it back down. Right. The cuts a little longer it's slightly roomier without it all being baggy and such cute prints and molly said like twice it's this blue with all these multicolors on it she was like that is such a cute shirt that is such a cute shirt and what i heard was why'd you take that one and not give it to me (laughs) (laughs) so which one did you give molly um well i haven't quite done that yet (laughs) i'm debating i'm debating um so the nice sweaty one that she admired (laughs) No, I'll, even at the end of the workout, as I was doing some dynamic flexibility drills on the way home, like now that if the wor- today's workout was supposed to be 65 minutes, boom, I stopped at 65, even though I was like three blocks away. And so did the dynamic flexibilities between where I stopped and my house. And as I was doing them and, you know, so seeing my arms as I'm raising them and doing all these things, I'm like, I think this is going to become my favorite running shirt. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, so uh, so it's a whole lot of awesome. And gosh, today's workout was just was a lot of switching between rate of perceived exertion three and five for like certain amounts of time. And it was this whole like there was there was a pattern, but it was kind of like a beaded necklace that you have to look at the entire strand to see what the pattern is. (laughs) So um, but it was awesome. But then uh, at the end, we had to do one minute at rate of perceived exertion five, then one minute at like balls to the wall, and then back to five. And um, so Molly, we take off and Molly was timing because I would tell what we would do and she would time because doing both of those tasks was too much. For, too, much. Yeah. too much. And so um, so then I said, drop back to RP5. And she goes, isn't it supposed to be to 5K feel? So I had to like scunch the sleeve up just that much more, <laughs> which slows me down a little bit. I'm like, yeah, it was a trick. It was just to get me to slow down. <laughs> you just want to slow down. <laughs> so... So anyway, so well, I hope you have a daybreak long sleeved shirt in your in that box that's awaiting you. You know, my memory is so bad at this point that uh, mm-hmm. who knows what's in that box could be anything. Uh, speaking of, I actually tried to. I needed to call to make an appointment for the dog groomer. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and about five minutes before that, my daughter had mentioned that she really needs a haircut, and she's <laughs> completely correct that she really needs a haircut. Uh-huh. So I called the dog groomer and then proceeded to try and make an appointment to get my daughter's haircut. With, with the dog, dog groomer. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yep. So we were both very confused. So it was great. It was great. Oh, my goodness. And so your daughter comes. I'm looking like a poodle. You're like, oh, that's not right. <laughs> that's not what I meant. Oh, oh, well, it'll grow out. Oh, my goodness. And so and you told me you have um, some news about Hamilton. What well, is this? I would say it's, it's news about Hamilton. Uh-huh. But I... There have been a lot of people who really love Hamilton. Yes. Um, and the school, the college that I teach for, SUNY Oneonta, one of our alumni is in Hamilton. Oh, the alumni. musical. We should say it's a Broadway musical. Yes, Hamilton the Musical. She is in Hamilton the Musical. Wow. Her name's Carly Bettyall. Uh, if you watch any of the videos online, she is uh, wearing kind of riding pants. She's in the chorus. Uh-huh. Uh, riding pants, and she has long, dark hair. Oh. Um, but she still can't get us tickets to Hamilton. So let's just put that out, out there. What good is she? <laughs> She's very nice. She's very nice. She's very nice. Um, so I know a lot about it. And I kept intending to download the soundtrack mm-hmm. and totally failing to download the soundtrack because uh-huh. uh, I get distracted easily. Uh, and I had to drive up to pick up my kids in, ironically, Lafayette, New York. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> Um, being that Lafayette is one of the characters okay. in, and one of the true life, you know, it's not a character so much. Yeah. Full person. Yes. Yeah. Or was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to drive up to Lafayette, which is actually near the town of Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I do know from Hamilton, New York. Yes. yes that sounds vaguely familiar as a Colgate University graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm finally going to do this. We'll have two hours in the car uh, so I can really sit and listen to it. Yeah. Uh, and my kids, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure how this is going to go, but you know what? They can, they can deal. Yeah. Um, like it or lump it. Uh-huh. Like it or lump it. Uh, you can sit in the back and sing to yourself. That's fine. Um, <laughs> they were entranced mm-hmm. for the entire ride. And we mm-hmm. got to talk about, uh, American history. We got to talk about, um, how having a child or two, in that era, not make it to adulthood was pretty standard. 
Oh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, so, you're lucky if it was only one or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, when I know this is a spoiler, you know, 300 year ago, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, or 200 and however many years ago, uh, Hamilton's Alexander Hamilton's son, Philip, is killed in a duel. And yeah, three uh, years, three years before Hamilton himself is killed. Yes. In a duel, duel, well, yes. you know, dueling was a thing. So dueling was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I put up in history and go, you know what? We have some problems, but you know. I think we're getting better, at least. Better. Not perfect. Better. And then they went on and had another um, son. They had another son after the <laughs> old, the original. Oh, that sounds awful. They, after the original <laughs> Philip died, they went on and had a second Philip. And so get this. Phoebe, my now 14-year-old, was, you know, the, the, the lyrics tell a lot of story. I'm not Maybe. even sure there is spoken parts because the, sure the yeah. lyrics tell so much of the story and so you you know you you see in your mind's eye it unfolding that philip is going to be in this duel and i guess phoebe got so wrapped up in it and so worked up about it that she, she googled like philip hamilton and she's <laughs> and she saw that a philip hamilton you know, son of Alexander Hamilton, you know, lived to be, I don't know, 86 or something. So, so she, she's like, paused the music and she's like, oh, thank goodness he doesn't die. And then, right. so when the original Philip died, she's like, no, I <laughs> thought he lived. How does that work? Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, well, that's awesome that they liked it. Oh, they are. Yeah. Uh, my son, I'm not, mm, he liked it, but then, you know, when the second act starts, he's like, oh, I thought we were done. Uh, <laughs> it is two discs. Yes. Is, yes. Uh, but my daughter is still, you know, finding YouTube videos and, and all kinds of stuff. And she was sure to tell me, she's like, I'm only getting the legal ones. Oh, very I good. I don't want the bootlegged you know, uh, footage from the show itself. Well, but they can also go on um, to the Facebook page, Hamilton, the musical Facebook page, because every day they have, um, now I'm forget. I think it's ham for ham. Is that what it is? When they, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, they yeah. have the, some cast members come out onto the sidewalk before the show every evening. And I guess before matinees and they do a snippet or something yes. like that. Yeah. 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 Um, and my husband is friends with Carly on Facebook mm. and you know, she keeps posting all these pictures of you know Carly with Oprah, Carly with the president, <laughs> Carly with, <laughs> You're like, yeah, we don't have those pictures. No, we don't. We really don't. Oh, but we're really glad that you're doing really well because mm-hmm. you want to see your students succeed. But it's kind of like, huh? <laughs> well, she's having a much more exciting life than we are. Oh my goodness! I have to tell you. Speaking of Facebook, so I I am friends with a gentleman named Michael Goff, who is also a Colgate grad, and he was a coxswain on the rowing team, and he does listen to the podcast. So hi, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's a father runner. And so he emailed me the other day because he had a laugh saying that Facebook was like, you might know Adrian Martini. <laughs> he's like, no. <laughs> no, I, know, I guess I guess he knows someone who also teaches it that no SUNY. So, yeah. um, so, you know, there were two intersections with, with Adrian Martini. So I don't know if he has tried to friend you or not, but if so, that's who Michael Goff is. Well, it's okay. Michael, why don't you friend me? Yeah. That would be great. Right. So, so, and then also the other um, small world thing was that a friend of, he said an hour after listening to our recent podcast um, that you and I did with um, Becca Peasy, he said a friend of his invited him to go hear her speak. Wow. Because he lives outside Boston. She lives outside Boston. 
And so I have to find out from him whether he went and heard her speak. Right. And, and I was like, oh, make sure you tell her you heard her on the podcast. Right. <laughs> right. She was so great i still have questions oh so many questions still for her oh yeah that was and and molly kind of listened to it in snippets so each time we'd go for a new workout or a run she'd be like oh and i listened to that part and oh my gosh i can't believe that right and i just want to make it clear i was asking about the desserts not because well i am interested in desserts but i thought maybe she was theming them to the continent she was on oh sure so i thought so too oh okay oh i think she was i mean i don't think she had I, I was going to say baked Alaska for Antarctica, but right. that's not quite well, that was right. the one I couldn't figure out. I was like, so what What would you do for that one? An so. ice cream, s- s- no, ice cream. Um, like um, a Klondike bar? No, that's the wrong, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, just a cold place. Um, gosh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it would obviously have to be a frozen dessert. Yeah, that yeah. goes without saying. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. What do penguins huh. have for dessert? Uh, that sounds like a joke from a Dixie cup. <laughs> what do penguins have for dessert? <laughs> so whoever comes up with the best punchline for that. Know, right. Right. Tweet us your best punchline for that. <laughs> right. That was like the, um, on, I know you and I both listened to the NPR yes. politics podcast and it was, um, they wanted a, the answer to, um, two Corinthians walk into a bar. Right. Right. <laughs> so what we don't, we, we don't want that. We want uh, the punchline to what do penguins it? eat for dessert? Right. <laughs> And, oh, you should see. I mean, I can smell smoke coming out of Alex, our producer's ears, because as he tries to think about this, if he wasn't wearing headphones, it would just be filling the room. Now, for the next hour of the recording, he's going to be like, oh, oh. And, and then tomorrow afternoon sometime, he's going to leap up and go, I got it. Right or in the middle of the night, sit up, bolt upright. Oh, my goodness. So, well, he'll have some time to think about because we are welcoming two guests on the show today, one after another both of whom are affiliated with Achilles International, which um, is an organization, nonprofit organization, which uh, has, um, I guess you would say, able-bodied runners leading uh, disabled runners, whether um, with sight impairments or um, uh, uh, amputations or other impediments um, in races, both um, running races and triathlons and um, I think biking events. Um, so we have, a, first up, we have a guide and then we have a um, blind runner. So first up is Kathleen Cat Bateman, who has been the director of the New York chapter of Achilles International for the last five years. Cat is a mother runner slash triathlete with a 13-month-old baby. But before we welcome our first guest, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a sponsor. Welcome, Cat. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So before we kind of get into Achilles International, what is your athletic background? Uh, My athletic background uh, consists of playing sports my entire life as a, uh, in high school, in college, and uh, as a young child as well on the soccer field when, you know, you didn't really know what direction the the ball was going in, but just everyone kind of ran that way. Um, So... (laughs) So I've played sports. Athletics has always been a part of my life, uh, an important part. Nice, nice. So, so bef- tell us, please, about a- Achilles International Organization and then how you got involved with it. So, so Achilles is a not-for-profit which enables people with all types of disabilities to participate in mainstream athletics. Um, it's to promote self-esteem. It's to live a more balanced life and to really break down the barriers uh, associated with uh, disability. And um, basically, that's 
that's Achilles, and Achilles in a nutshell is is a community of of people, of individuals, some with disabilities, some without, um, but who come together and run together and set goals together and achieve great things together. Nice. nice. How did you get involved with them? That that part of the question. Um, (laughs) So when I first moved to New York City, I moved to get a master's in occupational therapy. And I started uh, working part-time at Achilles in outreach programs in uh, several hospitals and rehabilitation centers uh, within New York City. So the Terrence Cardinal Cook Hospital, uh, Beth Israel, um, a NYU uh, Initiative for Women with Disabilities. And it was this incredible opportunity where my background in exercise physiology and my love of sports and also my experience of over 10 years with special needs populations specifically really combined in this uh, perfect, you know, it was the perfect ingredients for a career that I wanted. Um, and so basically from there, our, our, um, I started with these outreach programs and I realized how much of a difference I could make uh, one step at a time for a whole bunch of different populations, special needs populations. And it was just kind of a, a match made in a match made in running heaven. <laughs> That's where we had all you, go to, right? I know. Had you, um, how many races had you run before becoming an Achilles guide? I had run dozens of races. Right. I, I had run one marathon. I had run a couple of half marathons. I had run, I had competed in sprint triathlons and Olympic distance triathlons as well. So I had a background already in endurance sports and running specifically. Um, but nothing, I think I was looking for a community and that's what I found at Achilles. Right. Mm-hmm. And how many have you guided now? Oh, wow. <laughs> we want an exact number. <laughs> okay. Um, you should have told me because I would have had to count for a very long you're time. You're I'm, <laughs> I'm joking too. <laughs> humor it's hard it is it's the it's the montreal sarcasm i uh if you count just races i've guided well over 100 races i've guided half marathons i've guided olympic distance triathlons i've guided sprint triathlons i've guided 5ks i've guided you know the fifth avenue mile which is literally a run down fifth um avenue as as fast as you can um with uh, with a boy with autism, actually, and I think more than just the races I've I've guided and the amount of races I've guided is something so unique about it is that like each race is with a with a different person. So yeah. that means I've run with you know well over a hundred people, different people. Um, so wow. about a hundred, so, probably more. So tell us, describe for us what it's like to guide these different people, you know, that I, I think people, you know, it's not like you're holding hands with the people um, and, or, you know, and starting at the back of the pack and telling them to be, Oh, be careful, be careful. So like, could you kind of, right. um, you know, um, no pun intended, walk us through what it's like to guide someone. A hundred percent. So our athletes, just to give a little bit of a background for those people those listeners that aren't completely aware, our athletes have a spectrum of challenges. And some of those challenges are 
overt and and obvious to the the naked eye. Um, if someone walks up in a walker, you think, okay, well, you have a mobility impairment. If someone uses a cane and wears dark sunglasses, uh, we uh, we recognize as a society, oh, this person is visually impaired. We also have we also have a spectrum of athletes on, um, who are recovering from strokes, who have uh, are on kidney dialysis, who have traumatic brain injuries. Um, also, athletes on on the autism spectrum from athletes who are incredibly verbal and can you know recite recite every state capital in in, in like a minute, um, and then to athletes who are completely nonverbal. So the reason I I give that background is is that it's kind of a multifaceted question and answer. Um, when you're guiding an athlete, you're entering their world for the duration of that race. So if I'm guiding an athlete who's visually impaired, uh, I we may be attached by a tether. So I'm holding one end of the tether, which is basically like a shoestring or a rope. And I've also used a bungee cord and the athlete is holding the other side. Um, so if I'm guiding someone with a visual impairment, my job is really to let them know what's coming up. Um, that could be that could really be cups from water stations or that could be someone's walking in front of us. We need to veer to the right. We need to veer to the left. It could be just terrain change. So often I'll, I'll say high knees or light feet so that they know to land uh, with more precision. Um, that would be someone uh, with a visual impairment. I could actually speak at great length with about each type of, uh, <laughs> of guiding experience because I've been so fortunate to have a lot of different um, experiences. But um, so that would be one example. The other end of the spectrum might be guiding someone uh, with autism. And my goal for, for this, which of course is different for all, all different runners, just as it is for you know, runners with a disability or without, each person's different. Mm -hmm. But um, often with athletes with autism, uh, the goal is to keep them on track, um, to keep them motivated, um, to use words that are maybe uh, more direct, just just so that we're all kind of like, we know what the goal is and we're getting there. And then also to protect, this is true of any athlete I run with, to protect our athletes from, from other participants. And I don't mean that in a way that uh, other participants are malicious in any way. Right. I do think, though, that especially in races, uh, people approach are very one-centric. They are going to set their, you know, if they're running eight-minute miles, then that's going to happen no matter what. So a big rule of the guide is just to be aware of your surroundings. And when I'm pairing up new volunteers with athletes with disabilities, I always make sure to tell them that if your pace is an eight-minute mile, then you want to be guiding someone who is running a nine-minute mile or slower because you should always not be working to keep up with your athlete in any way so that you can use all of that extra energy to um, be aware of your surroundings um, and 
And I found that that's worked because after guiding long races, especially, uh, it's so much more exhausting to guide a race than to run a race for yourself. Of course, so much more rewarding and worth it, but it really is a different energy output. Because of that kind of protecting your athlete, do you prefer a, a bigger race because of all the crowd support and the noise or a less crowded race because it's a little easier to navigate? I prefer what the athlete, what what race the athlete gets the most out of. And, and usually that is more crowd support. So a bigger race. But if the question is what is easier a hundred percent a smaller race with very few participants <laughs> yeah so i mean yeah. i just i i ran new york city marathon in 1999 so i realized it was quote unquote smaller back then and i right. just think i mean it's such a press of humanity and yes. manhole covers and people, tr you know, darting out into traffic or, you know, a, a pothole or police officers and, and aid stations. And it just seems like so much to work around. Yes. It's funny. Well, not funny that you say that, but I was running <laughs> just a portion of that race um, with an athlete. And as we were started down Fifth Avenue, um, all of a sudden... Like the barry the barriers, like the barricades to get onto the course just opened and an ambulance oh like my gosh. just kind of like cut through the sea of humanity you speak of. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it was just like, Yes, of course. It's New York City. Like people still need to get to the hospital. Right. Um, so there are so many things going on and uh, it does take it does take greater concentration. But I think that in terms of the crowd support, especially because we're with Achilles and people recognize us and know us in New York City. Our athletes get so much positive reinforcement and I know they run faster and stronger and with greater confidence because of the crowd support in New York City. Mm -hmm. So it's worth it. It's worth the the occasional we're going to get hit by an ambulance moment. <laughs> No, getting hit by an ambulance. At least you have medical care standing by. <laughs> right there, yeah. Right there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the silver lining. The silver lining. Upside. All about the upside. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And so um, also, I mean, you so you have guided athletes through um, triathlons. And so there's the whole swimming and biking part. I mean, I just, particularly the swimming, for some reason, that seems very daunting to me. I think that that is because um, you have a good survival instinct. That you, that. you can sense that about me. Yeah. <laughs> because it is daunting. And it is, it is challenging. The first time I, I asked someone, well, how do you guide, how do you guide an athlete in the water, um, in the pool? And this person said, oh, it's fine. When we get to the end of the pool, pool I just um swim in front of them and allow them to like swim into me and then we turn to the next side and that's not what happens all the time but there are a lot of different strategies if you're in a triathlon in open water um we are also attached by a tether so there is a rope around my waist and a rope around the athlete's waist um if we're doing a, a USAT triathlon then the athlete 
and but for athlete the athlete terminology i say athlete i probably should have said this at the beginning um but i refer to athlete as athlete with disability Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of just shortened that to athlete. And for volunteers, I referred to volunteers as guides. So the athlete would have to be um, about like half a foot in front of the guide. Um, so as not to the guide not is not permitted to lead right. the athlete in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really easy. Sometimes you'll, you'll swim uh, with an athlete who's incredibly straight and and then you just feel like, oh, this is great. Like, I just have, like, a friend that I'm swimming laps with. But other times where the athlete has less experience or has um, no no sight whatsoever, it can be a lot more challenging. And sometimes there's some tugging that goes on in the water mm-hmm. and some tapping and occasionally <laughs> some yells. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite something. I remember I swam uh, with an athlete named Diane Barbarian. She's incredible. And we did um, the paratriathlon national championships in, in, um, in Austin, Texas, a couple of years ago. And she was the straightest swimmer I've ever swam with. Like she was straighter than, than I was. And she she still is. Um, But then I swam another race, the New York city triathlon um, with an athlete named Eliza Cooper, who's an incredible swimmer. She's a better swimmer than I am. But it was her first time in open water, so mm-hmm. she didn't know how to. It was her first race as a triathlon, and she didn't she didn't know what to expect. So she basically just swam in circles, <laughs> and um, and it was it was difficult, and it had nothing to do with her ability. It's a comp- like her ability as a swimmer. It just had to do with the experience of that moment. Um, she's gone on to to swim half Ironman distances which is 1.2 miles and we'll probably one day do an Ironman um so she's an incredibly accomplished athlete but all this to say the experience is so different even in the water from one athlete to another um you really know you never know what to expect except that it'll be incredibly rewarding and challenging and fun right so (laughs) when you're um guiding do you try and describe the scenery of a race to kind of give the athlete a picture of what you're running past or what you're biking through or what other athletes are doing or is it just kind of the the kind of chit chat that you'd have with an abled athlete I think it changes for each athlete and that's one of the things I like to ask right away Um, in fact for example this Saturday I was running uh, with an athlete who is completely blind and we hadn't run together for a couple of years. And, uh, as we were approaching a different place, I I said, do you want me to tell you where we are? Uh, And he said, no, he's like, he just wanted to suffer through it and not know (laughs) how far he was or where he was going. And so I really, with him, because of what he wanted, I only answered his questions versus Mm -hmm. shared information. Um, my, you know, out of my own, thinking he might want to know. Uh, whereas other athletes want to know all the time. They want to know what they're passing. They want to know, um, uh, you'll, I'm sure like when you, it, when you're running, um, with friends, often you realize you're talking about something that you can see, right? So right. you're like, Oh, look at that dog over there. It's blah, blah, blah. It's, I don't know. It's, it's wearing a hilarious jacket, especially in New York City. Dogs right. wear. <laughs> they do. Like, they really do. Some stereotypes are real and true, yep. and that is, that's true. <laughs> um, so 
you know, at moments like that, you need to kind of catch yourself and, right. and hey, look over aware. there. <laughs> yeah, and be aware that, oh, right, um, you can't see that, and now I'm going to describe it to you. And, and so you actually get very good at not only describing what you're seeing, but also being aware of what you're seeing in in kind of another in another way like seeing things for the first time um is definitely something that i've i've i'm very appreciative appreciative of when running with friends who are visually impaired because it forces me to be more aware of my surroundings and also put language to what i'm seeing mm-hmm. right that's that's the thing i think finding words you know particularly in a race scenario you know it's like if they if they do want to see and then being like oh i need to call up some adjectives maybe right. an adverb or two you know? right 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 <laughs> that comes back to the why you you always want to run with someone who is um runs a slower pace that, mm-hmm. you know, so that can use your brain power and your energy to find those adjectives right right right, right, right. and then yeah. um uh this question actually came from somebody on twitter how do how do guides handle bathroom stops and aid stations that is an excellent question. <laughs> um, well, bathroom stops, bathroom stops are like anything except that it's kind of like any other um, situation where with an able-bodied runner, except that it's kind of funny because as you bring your athlete to the bathroom um, and as, at all these big races, there's lineups of like 25 right. people. No one really understands what hap- what's happening. And then you're standing like outside the bathroom stall waiting for them uh, to come back out. So that's it's kind of more of an awkward thing, but doesn't people eventually realize what's going on. But do you um, stay do you stay te- you don't stay tethered to them like and have the tether go like underneath the door of the porta potty or something? No, 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 okay. no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and you just, you all just speak up like, like, do you all be like, hold on, got to go poop one more time before we go to the starting line? Like, Yes, that is a hundred percent. Like you need to have a pretty good relationship with your guide. And that's why these kind of, um, cemented friendships form because it's, it's like, I have pee anxiety. I need to pee again. You know, I have, um, or like the guide has pee anxiety. So it's, you know, you both have to be really patient with the other person. Um, but aid stations are aid stations are actually my um, most. It's like I I hate aid stations. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. When you're guiding a race, aid stations are kind of the, like other runners are like awesome. Like we can get some nutrients. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's gonna be goo and water bottles all over the floor and people are going to be dashing out at kind of unthinkable moments it's kind of you know like if the president if there's like a the president goes into an area that is tighter security that's how I feel as I move (laughs) towards an aid station and uh, my strategy which really works for me and it's what I've it's what I I always do if the athlete is is um agrees with it is I actually as we just before we get to the aid station we start to walk so I will take the water and we will walk and the athlete will drink the water and and uh and then it's only once we pass the aid station that we pick up the run again it's also you know it's it's not a bad practice for running anyways because it's easier to ingest the water and and you know taking a 10 second break to walk through the race and not get hurt or hit 
by someone isn't isn't a bad um, routine anyways. Oh, I mean, but, you know, you can trip on a banana peel or an orange slice, you know, being fully sighted. So Exactly. Yeah. So what do you feel like you get out of being an Achilles guide? I get so much out of being an Achilles guide. I I get more energy with my own runs. I have a greater purpose when I'm running, but also when I'm thinking about when my next run is. Um, I think the races are more fulfilling and it's not really, it's really, uh, it points to the fact that that kind of cliche quote that it's not about, that it's about the journey and not the destination. And definitely as an Achilles guide, it's about the journey. The destination is race day and that's so important, but it's about putting in those miles before race day. Um, it's it's one of the few times where you're integrally in you're integral to the experience and success of another person, um, and they're counting on you. And in the same way, you're counting on them um, to show up that day or to show up for that workout. And what and I that's both physically and kind of emotionally and sometimes spiritually. And we've all had tough runs and you know, reasons that we don't feel motivated. So it's just an incredible experience to be able to be part of someone else's joy and vulnerability and and fear and incredible achievement. And it's, it's something so uh, tangible to be in a, in an, in, in life, you don't always have something where there's something just so tangible that you can feel like I did that and I did that with someone and we did that together and we've really achieved that together. Mm-hmm. And so many times you, you know, you said at the beginning of the podcast, can you, you know, take us by the hand and, and lead us through. And and the truth is you do often cross the finish line holding the hands of your athletes because you are both crossing that finish line together, even though it's their time and you don't have a time and your pace doesn't matter. Um, it really is a, a joint achievement. That's awesome. So, and it made made me realize. Um, thank you for giving a very thoughtful and and poetic response to that. Um, and so, that maybe sound a little gauche to then ask you a very um, uh, tactical question. So, you kind of alluded, but you do train with your athletes, right? So that it's not you just don't show up on on race day and and get paired with someone. I mean, talk us through how you get paired with an athlete, and then how often you do train with them. So my goal um, in New York City, I direct the New York City chapter of Achilles, and my goal is for all of our our races for the athlete to always train with the guides beforehand. I think it's a more fulfilling experience for everybody. It's also, um, I think the athlete's able to uh, run faster and stronger and with greater confidence if they understand the rhythm of the guide and vice versa. Uh, this is not always possible. Um, I have, uh, I worked with this incredible athlete named, um, Amy McDonough. She ran a 252, uh, marathon. Wow. And when she was coming to New York city, um, she reached out to me about, uh, finding guides. And so I had to find guides, you know, b- blind, Right. To mm-hmm. use the, to use the <laughs> term. And um, and for someone who's running a 252 marathon, you know, <laughs> I was looking for. Yeah, I was looking for guides who could run um, 
really 230. I, I mean, I was looking, I was looking for anyone, but well, like under 252. And, um, and I, I found two guides that were excited to run with her and, and they showed up and, and they were an incredible team together. They, it, you know, it worked out and, and I don't know that it always works out quite as magically, but, um, it certainly did in this case. Although the background of that story is that that was the year of Sandy. And oh. so, um, they didn't run. They, well, they didn't run officially, of course, but they did run 26.2 miles through the streets of New York City um, together that day with um, a lead uh, cyclist, like oh. as a volunteer. Right. Um, so that kind of actually does point even more so to kind of these instant bonds that form between people they had met the night before, the, the day before, and when uh, the marathon was canceled on Friday. Sorry, so they had met on Friday. And on Sunday, the day of the marathon, when it was canceled, they did run 26.2 miles together through the streets of New York City um, because they felt that commitment to each other and that trust. Wow. Wow. So that's a multifaceted answer to your question. Um, but I think that it kind of points to the fact that even when you aren't training with an athlete beforehand, when you show up, you're showing up to be there for them and with them. And so there is a certain amount of um, like commitment that you already have, even if you haven't put in the miles before. Although for me, it's, it's the most important. I, I really, I really focus on, um, um, I put a lot of energy into people being able to run together before because I also think it it rewards the guides who are really committed and really want to be there for the experience and not just to be like to Instagram which is also great but like you know to say like look I ran with an athlete and right. da 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 race and here's my medal and and that's great. that's okay too but it's really important to me to kind of honor the 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 guides that show up on the days that are not race days, because those are, those are the hard miles. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So our, for our final question, if, if listeners are thinking they'd like to get involved as an Achilles guide, um, you mm -hmm. know, what are some qualities essential for being a, a good Achilles international guide? And then how do they go about um, joining up with the organization? So I think that um, some of the, qualities to have as an Achilles guide is patience, um, a very good sense of humor, um, an ability to go with the flow, and, and really just a desire to kind of experience every step. Because you don't know what a race is going to be. You don't know, um, you don't know how you're going to necessarily connect with someone on that day. Um, you might be put in you know, if you're squeamish and someone's like, I really need to find a porta potty right now, um, <laughs> like it's maybe it's not the best pairing for you. Um, but there's, I think it's just anyone who has an open mind. And definitely it's not about pace. We have athletes that train their whole lives to run a 14 minute mile. Um, we have athletes that have worked so, so hard to walk a 45-minute mile because they have cerebral palsy, for example. So it's definitely not about pace. 
at all. And I think one thing at Achilles that's really important to me is that we celebrate the 45 minute mile and, you know, the five minute mile mm -hmm. um, equally in a lot of ways because the each person, you know, may have put just as much towards achieving that. Um, and if they would like to get involved with Achilles, uh, you can go to our website, www.achillesinternational.org, and there is um, a section for volunteers, and you can fill out a volunteer application. There's also chapters all over the United States, as well as um, internationally, so you can go onto our website and see if there's a chapter in your area. And... Um, if you have any questions, you can also just send me an email at kbateman at achillesinternational.com. Um, nice. Nice. Yes. Nice. Well, thank you so much. Well, um, we appreciate talking with you, and um, we, we're going to switch it over and talk to uh, one of your athletes. So thanks for joining us, Kat. Thank you. Next up, we'd like to welcome Charles Edward Catherine, a 27-year-old man who has been legally blind for almost four years. It was right around the time he moved to New York from France. Charles is director of an NGO called Surgeons of Hope, which helps infants born with a damaged heart receive life-saving surgery. Like me, Charles is training to run the Boston Marathon on April 18. Welcome, Charles, or should I say bienvenue? Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your running background? So I'm really a beginner. Uh, I, I lost my sight about three years ago, and uh, I was not a runner back then. And uh, I joined Achilles uh, in uh, 2014. And uh, I joined them mainly to socialize and meet other people that uh, face the same issues as I. Um, and then I really became uh, addicted to running. And so I went once a week, twice a week, and now almost uh, every day. So. Right. Wow. wow. And, <laughs> and if you could explain, I don't know if this is the right word, but kind of your level of blindness. You indicated in an email sure. to me that you can see shapes and colors. Yeah, so I have uh, RP, um, so now I am legally blind, uh, I can see if it indeed shapes, colors, but uh, in a race I usually close my eyes so uh, to, to focus because I can't really trust what I see and uh, it takes me time to process information and, and often I'm wrong, <laughs> so, so I close my eyes and I trust my guides, so when I run, yes, I am completely in the dark. Wow, wow. So, so okay, so... You you go to almost daily workouts with them, and it also sounds like you've done a slew of races with Achilles. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I'm doing. I'm preparing right now for for the Boston Marathon. Oh, no. uh, I'm going to race New York City half. Um, but I've done mainly yeah triathlons and 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 shorter races with Achilles, 10Ks and and halves. Um, and uh, it's very interesting. I have a whole group of people because, as you can imagine, I need a guide all the time, uh, and it can't be the same person. I'm, I have a full-time job. It's usually very odd hours, you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., or, or after work. And so I have a group of maybe 10 or 15 guides, and they take turns to uh, suffer with me. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, and so they're not organized workouts per se. It's not like you go to a group there, workout. So there are group workouts, but only twice a week. And now that's not enough for me. So <laughs> <laughs> it's your entourage. Like, you yes, got, exactly. Your exactly. Yeah. 
so we know from a, an online Q&A that you had three Achilles guides helping you navigate the New York yes. City Marathon last yeah. year. So how did that work and what was it? I mean, because the New York City Marathon is just a sea of humanity. So <laughs> how, how did that work for you? Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised because usually when we race in the regular race, we have an early start, so we we avoid the crowd, um, and then we get passed by the elite athletes, which is kind of cool usually. Um, but um, in the New York City, we 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 started uh, at the back of the first wave, and so it was very 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 crowded, and there were wheelchairs, there were. Uh, some of my friends have other types of disabilities. It's not just visually impaired people. And uh, I know for all of us, it was a really uh, nerve-wracking moment, but also part of the experience. Uh, right. So I don't regret. I, I like being part of a whole crowd uh, versus uh, sometimes starting alone uh, before everyone else. Uh, so for my guides, it was very difficult. I have one of them um, like a few yards ahead of me and he's literally uh running with his arm spread uh <laughs> and pushing people away and, and clear the way here comes charles he's coming through <laughs> <laughs> kind of like exactly. a cattle catcher on a train car yeah. and he it was actually his first marathon and he really paid for all of those efforts uh, afterwards but um uh most of uh regular runners have earbuds uh and so it's hard to uh -huh. to warn them uh and i remember stepping on somebody's heel and uh, she lost her shoe, and I felt really, really sorry because I could just hear, oh, no, in the back. And, and, you know, she was in the middle of a crowd with one shoe on, and uh, it was a terrible way to start the marathon. So, yeah, it was those moments. But, uh, again, it's part of the experience, and uh, it's, it's thrilling at the same time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, my gosh. And was she all set to, like, curse you out because, you know, it's a New York City Marathon? And then she's like, I, oh, I, I can't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I get a lot of you know like angry and then right away oh but he's nice <laughs> he's wearing that bright yellow shirt i can't totally bitch him out oh that's a bummer i'll save this for later <laughs> right. um so i i was gonna read a little bit from your blog post about mm -hmm. running new york city um but then we arrive at mile 23 I know that it doesn't feel like it when we take the bus down Fifth Avenue, but there is a little incline there that's very, very painful at the end of a marathon. Stefan and Dustin, who were your guides, understand that I'm fighting and they go 10 yards ahead of me and yell to the spectators, this is Charles, he is blind, this is his first marathon, he needs your help now. So what was that moment like for you in the race from there? to the end, to the finish line. Uh, so it was really uncharted territory for me. And, and just uh, hearing you reading that is still very touching. It was a great moment. Um, I, I was in agony, clearly. And uh, at that time, uh, my guides often uh, make the mistake of, of talking too much to me. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> really, I just want silence. But that was a really great idea. Uh, Stefan is a, is a great, great runner. He's done many marathons and even triathlons. And, uh, he knew what to do. And, and so this crowd reacted so well. And they literally carried me to the finish. Um, and, and, and it reminded me, A, why I decided to run this marathon. You know, this was an inspiring thing for myself, but also for other people. And B, uh, it reminded me that I had great friends uh, running with me, and uh, in that sense, I was very lucky because usually runners are lonely, or uh, especially the better ones. So, yeah, it was it was an incredible moment. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so, so do you that you mentioned that, you know, that part of it is that, you know, you're inspiring other people. I mean, I saw some Achilles athletes when I was spectating Chicago Marathon last October. And I mean, I just could barely cheer for them because just this huge lump welled up in my throat. Tears sprang to my eyes. And just I mean, you know, running a marathon is so difficult, regardless, you know, for for completely able bodied people. So. I mean, so you do think about while you're out there that like, I mean, do you, do you like draw inspiration from that? Like, oh, okay, I'm making these people feel good. So like, <laughs> like it's kind of like a ricochet effect. It, it, it really depends. Uh, some, usually, 99% of the time, yes, uh, it has this very overwhelming uh, effect on, on, on me as well. And, and I never get used to it. Uh, having those people uh, be extra nice. Some of them, uh, like even some runners uh, stopped or slowed down to just be with my group of guides and, and chit-chat with me for a few and, and we finished with a bigger group than what we started with. Uh, spectators are amazing and um, it, it reminds me also that uh, my very first day with Achilles, I was not in a great place. Um, I think I was in a depression and, and fighting uh, just to stay uh, happy and uh, I... I, I I didn't want to go to Achilles because I didn't want to be a disabled person. I didn't want to ask for help. Um, but uh, I, at this first workout where I did like three miles and I was completely out of breath, and, uh, those people did not help me. They, they just came as a friend. Um, I never felt uh, like I was relying on them. It was just a casual run together. And, and so that was like a quintessential moment uh, in the marathon where I remember that. We were, they were not helping me. I was also helping them because, again, right. Matt, the guy with the, the arm spread at the beginning, was next to me, and he was in an even darker place at that time. <laughs> and, and I know he was also using this as a motivation. So. Nice, nice. So his, his arms hurt as well as his legs. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and another thing they tell me is their neck hurts a lot because they keep looking around right. and back. And, and so, yeah, they have all kinds of odd pains. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my goodness. So, so try to describe, if you can, for us sighted runners, what it's like to put your faith in another athlete or two or three to help navigate through a crowded race course yeah. or like on an uneven running path. I mean... Um, you know, I, I have kind of normal vision and I often feel kind of panicky or, or jostled in bigger races. So I'm, I'm six foot two, so I'm pretty tall and there's many factors that uh, need to be, uh, taken in consideration, especially low branches, for instance, as well as the, the course on the, uh, you know, the obstacles on the ground and, and other people. And my guides are, are really good uh, at not caring too much, meaning, uh, now we go, you know, usually at like a 7.30 base, so we go quite fast, and uh, that per allows me to uh, sort of run through uh, difficult moments, you know, like even if the ground is slightly uneven, we just power through it usually, and uh, and they know what really matters, meaning the big speed bumps and, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, uphills and, and, and distances and, and things like that. So we, we really found a good balance of little communication, but essential communication. And I used to jog, you know, like sometimes on the beach or uh, when I could see and I was alone. Um, and uh, it's true, the transition was super difficult, uh, especially at the very beginning. Uh, for instance, when we are in Central Park practicing, because I live in, in New York City, uh, there is lots of runners around, especially groups that uh, go in the other direction. And 
everything is very exaggerated in my mind. Like I cannot judge distances. So I have to learn how to not trust my senses. That was very, very difficult. Uh, not just my, my sight. So I close my eyes, but also my hearing. Because if you close your eyes, everything becomes a little bit bigger. Um, and, and so just learn to let go and, uh, and enjoy the ride. So Nice. Nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So from reading some of your blog posts, it seems like you run by heart rate. Um, yes. Is it yes. tough being the arbiter of, of pace when you're running with other people? Or have you found uh, kind of a group to run with? That's a very good question. Um, so first of all, in New York City, one of the problems was uh, I had my uh, phone uh, talking to me throughout the race with my heart rate and pace. Uh, but I couldn't hear it <laughs> at all. Uh, so we had a plan B. My, my guide also had a watch uh, hooked to my heart rate monitor, so he could tell me uh, some of the info. Uh, so they have usually two watches, uh, one with my uh, info and one with their info. And uh, they look at, they know my zones and they know when they should push, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but um, that's one thing that, since the very beginning, they, all of my runners, my guides can run much faster than I. So they're not there to do a PR. Uh, they're not there. They're there just to share the experience. And to them, that's even more valuable sometimes than, than a PR. Uh, so I, I don't re resent. They don't resent me, and I don't feel guilty for uh, slowing them down. Uh, so that's really really important. And then. Yeah, I just, uh, I just uh, learn to tell them when I don't feel too good, but I also learn to not tell them when I'm just, you know, hurting and, and I know I can, I can keep going. So it's, it's interesting, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So and you said you don't like to have people really talk, you don't, you're not much for chit-chat when you're out there in a race. Or, so do you kind of set that up, like if you're running with somebody new and be like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear about every bird that flies by <laughs> us or, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so so that was at mile twenty three of the of the, my first marathon. So, but but uh, usually I like to chit chat quite a bit. Uh -huh. um, it's uh, but yes, I I, I we, they usually understand that uh, I, I like descriptions of uh, what what is around us. Uh, but I am also just very curious. So I, I ask a lot of questions, and, and they understand through that um, what I need to know and. Uh, and slowly but surely we find a, just a natural uh, rhythm. Um, but uh, it, it's hard, and I'm sure you've experienced it also as runners. When, when you see somebody in pain, uh, you want to you wanna be encouraging, but you, you're not sure to what are the right words. And, and so we, we face that problem. And even myself, you know, sometimes my guides are really, really afraid of bailing on me because they feel extra responsible, and I have to comfort them. Uh, it happens you know, that my guide had to slow us down because it was going through a terrible day. And that's also something I, I need to learn um, how to handle, uh, you know, this type of situation. So. Wow. I have to say you sound much more mature, both in your voice and your attitude than, than a 27-year-old. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's the whole European thing, or I don't know. Um, but listening to you talk, it's like, wait, he's he's just 27. Like, that's really young. <laughs> uh, yeah, my mother used to tell me that uh, when I was a teenager. And I think facing, you know, disability um, makes you consider... Uh, problems that you don't necessarily have to face as a usual teenager. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, my, my wife is actually older than I, and I think it makes sense too. I, I, I like this comfort and, and just being with people that um, have been through some of the things I went through. So, yeah. But thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so talking times, um, your half marathon PR is 139.14. And for now. For now. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> um, and I know uh, New York City was a little slower than you intended, but it was um, 3.53. Um, so, so what's your goal at Boston? Uh, I, I usually have three goals when I go into a race. A must, must, the must do would be uh, uh, three fifty five. Uh, should do is like a three fifty, three forty five, and then under three forty five would be my dream. Nice, nice. And how many how many guides will you have at Boston? Uh, Boston is very t- different from New York. We can have only one guide at a time uh, and two maximum, meaning uh, we can switch at the midway point. Oh. Uh, so I think I will go with just one guide. For the yeah. entire distance. Yeah, which is a gamble because uh, many things right. can happen. But, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at Boston, so I hope I, hope I run into you there. You'll be a little. Okay. You'll be ahead of me, but. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but if I uh, see you at the expo, I will um, come over and introduce myself. So. Be very nice. Very yeah, nice. Yeah, awesome. Well, it was it was lovely talking with you, Charles. Thanks so much. Thank you, and uh, thank you very much for you know talking about Achilles. It's really a great cause, and if some of your listeners are in New York, uh, they should really come to the park on Saturday morning. Um, oh. It's really really nice. Nice. Great. Nice. nice. <laughs> what time do you all meet and where do you meet? It's usually at uh, 10 a.m. on Saturday at uh, 89th and 5th. So. Oh, of course. Be- being in New York, you know, you have to get that late start. Um. Right. And, <laughs> and if people are, want more info, they can go to my blog. I'm sure you'll put the, the link, but it's oh, charlesrunts.nyc. Yeah. Oh, I know it was it was uh, fun reading reading your blog. I love all the pictures on there too. So, <laughs> so thank you. All right, thank great. You. Well, good luck with your training for Boston, Charles. I'll see you there. Okay, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. Other than the fact that I was disappointed he didn't have more of a French accent, um, that was that was lovely talking to him. It really it really was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and with Cat as well, no accent there. Slight no slight accent. Canadian accent, well, just slight. I was about to say she she does have the Montrealer uh, weird things with vowels accent. So, different, yeah. not weird, just not just weird. different. <laughs> yeah, just different. We have a lot of Canadian listeners. Don't tick them off, oh, please, no, no, Adrian. No, no, no. no, I'm not. It's just different. That's all. I know. I have an accent to many. So, uh, um, yeah, it was actually nice that Kat talked a little bit about pace because when she started talking about the program, I was like, oh, I'd really love to do this. And I was like, okay, so if you need to be able to run, you know, what, a minute faster than whoever you're guiding, I was like, oh, yeah, that's not a thing. There aren't that many who run a minute minute slower than I do. Um, no, no, no. But no, no. as it turns out, there are many. So yeah, yeah. I'm th- going to uh, I think, see if there's anything in the area here. I was going to say, I think you might be more geographically limited than pace I, limited. That's probably true. It's <laughs> probably true. Yeah, you might have to you know, drive drive an hour or something to get to Albany to do that. 
Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's um, it was um, generated a lot of interest on Twitter when I said that we were mm-hmm. going to be talking with someone from Achilles. So, um, so great. Well, let's go from Achilles over to Dimity in the Train Like a Mother Club. Hey, it's Dimity coming to you with your Train Like a Mother Club corner. I am not at my desk. I am recording this on my phone in my minivan waiting for my kids at school because it is Thursday afternoon and daylight savings time just finally came and kind of bit me in my badass today. Just did not quite have my act together to um, record this on a better device. So hang with me here because this is worth it. This is um, a comment from Lee, who was actually in our Find Your Strong Marathon Challenge last fall. And she did not run her marathon last fall, and she actually just ran it in March. So let's hear about it. She writes, Yesterday, I ran the Tobacco Road Marathon as my belated Find Your Strong race. I wasn't able to run New York City last November as planned, but I promised myself I would run a marathon in the spring and finish the Find Your Strong Challenge. This was my second marathon, and despite an outstanding training cycle, it was a rough race. The temperature exceeded 75 degrees, and after training all winter, my body simply was not prepared for those conditions. At mile 16, when I realized my time goals were not going to happen, I allowed myself to be sad for a few miles, and then I found my strong. This race became a testament to persevering through difficulty, triumphing, triumphing over adversity, and finishing what I start. Though I'm disappointed in the outcome, I am not disappointed in myself, and I can say I truly earned both medals. One medal for her race, one medal for the Find Your Strong Challenge. Thank you to the AMR team and to all of you for providing inspiration and support. I am so grateful to be part of this worldwide community of strong mother runners. We just want to give you a huge high five, Lee, for finishing it. And 75 degrees is tough, especially when you're used to cold temperatures. So congratulations on finishing what you started. Very impressive. We'll see you next week. Have some great runs in the meantime. All right, and before we we sign out, it turns out that our producer does indeed have oh, some answers to, to the joke. Although we right, still, so I still good. want people though to tweet to us right, at yeah. the mother runner with their responses. But okay, Alex, come okay, on, hang on. tell us. So up. we need to set up. You set it up, Adrian. So the setup is: What does a penguin have for dessert? Uh, these are these are really bad. If you're into snow cones, you could have some shave iceberg. Oh. <laughs> Uh, you could have some walrus cream. That's really bad. No, wait, I don't even get that. Walrus. Oh, I got the walrus, but what, what, what's walrus cream? Walrus ice ice cream. cream. Oh, I told you these are really, kind of sounds like ice. (laughs) These are really bad. And the last one, let's not judge some, uh, you could, you could head down to the freeze cake factory. (laughs) (laughs) Cheesecake factory is a local, is it, it, maybe it's a chain, a greater chain. Oh, okay. It's national. It's national. He defends himself. I have to say that as as Alex is leaning into my mic saying those things and I'm laughing, I just think about one of the top reasons Jack loves me is because I laugh at all his jokes. And I'm like, (laughs) oh God, it's not just Jack. I'll laugh at anyone's jokes. (laughs) I think the the snow cone, that was probably the best one. Yeah, that was the best. That one was, yeah. yeah, And shave iceberg. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. He's here all the week. Have the veal. Yes. Tip your waitress. Tip your waitress. Oh my gosh. All right. right. Well, um, so, all right. Since we mentioned Twitter, 
Um, please continue helping us reach our goal of 10,000 followers on Twitter. We're at the mother runner. I'm at SBS on the run and Adrian. I am at, at martini made and that's M A D E. Oh yes. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, versus, <laughs> versus you're going to not come and clean up their rooms. Exactly. Yes. yes. <laughs> I was like, wait, what is she talking about? <laughs> versus the other kind of maid. Yeah. For, uh, but a martini maid, that'd be kind of good. Like, you know, you brings a little silver tray, you know, with a little cute, um, short skirt on, you know, so kind Absolutely. of something out of a James Bond movie. <laughs> If it were not me, yes, that would be awesome. Um, We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on Instagram, where we are also at The Mother Runner. Finally, please like our Facebook page. Guess what it's called? Another (laughs) Mother Runner. (laughs) And thank you. And many happy miles to you. Bye.